Welcome to Coffee and Conversation, a podcast that's all in the name. Good coffee with great conversation. Here's your host, Larry Vincent. All right, welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast. I am your host, Larry Vincent, and with me here today uh, is a first-time guest and a first, and we'll be going through a lot of firsts today with you, uh, Mr. Tim Hughes. Go ahead and say hi, Tim. Hey, how you guys doing? Now, just if you're a regular listener to the podcast, and I mean really who's not, um, <laughs> that, that was stupid. All right, anyway, um, then you would have known that about two seasons ago that we had our senior minister, Tim Hughes, on our uh, podcast. This is not the same Tim Hughes. Now, you probably figured that out because... Well, you know, Tim, uh, senior pastor Tim Hughes does not sound like a 23-year-old kid. Guy, sorry, I'm 37. I know that's I, I, you're 14 years younger than me. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so this is a, a, a good, close friend of mine uh, who I have a ton of respect for and I'm so glad he's on the podcast today. But Tim told me something that I can't let go. I can't let go. Tim is uh, has not had a sip of coffee in how many years? Over four years. Four years he's not had a sip of coffee. And, and uh, unlike some of my other guests who have been on the podcast, Tim is willing to take a true first sip. So uh, like uh, we've had so far this season, we are doing night ops from uh, my friends uh, Courtney and Alan Driver's company, Hoosier. Uh, Warrior Coffee in Brownsburg, Indiana. Uh, would love uh, to have uh, you guys check them out, by the way. Um, so, regardless, uh, this is some good coffee that you're trying out, Tim. All right. So, uh, now I'm traditionally we would take the first sip at the same time. Today, however, I'm going to pick up my cell phone and I am going to do a video of you. Uh, that I will put on my Facebook page when this airs of you taking your first sip. Oh, boy. All right. No pressure. No pressure. All right. So, okay. Count of three. One, two, three. Take that first sip. What do you think, guy? Ooh, definitely hot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Was it good? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I've never had anything against coffee. I just never found it essential for me, I guess. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. All right. Well, give me at least a thumbs up. At least a thumbs up. All right. I can do it. You can do it. All right. It's okay. It's hot. Well, at least we know we made the coffee right. (laughs) It's it's definitely hot. All right. I'm going to take my first sip. Hold on. Ah, it's so good. It's so good. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Courtney and Alan, for your donation. All right. All right. Well, let's get to know you um, a little bit better. All right, Tim. Uh, now, this season, uh, we are talking about recovery. We're talking about uh, rehabilitation. And uh, I don't want to get too much of your, your story away, uh, but what I would love to hear is... Uh, you know your upbringing and what led you to the places where you were without getting into detail because I know you know whatever you're comfortable with you know what I mean Uh, and then uh, we'll we'll ask questions more specific questions about the time that you did spend in your locations so just do a broad overview give me like an elevator pitch of 
of Tim Hughes's life. Okay, well, I was born in Indianapolis in August of 97, and uh, I lived in Avon for the first couple years of my life, and then we moved to a small town called New Palestine, which is just off the east side of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and, you know, I pretty much spent my, you know, entire childhood there, and I feel like I had a pretty normal upbringing, you know, you know, two-story house, dog, brother, right. you know. right. Uh, you know, had clothes, plenty of toys, you know, good school and all that. And then, you know, once I started in puberty, that's when, you know, I started hanging with the wrong crowd and just, you know, it's kind of all went downhill from there. Okay. And and what, uh, where did that lifestyle lead you? So you talk about downhill. What's the downhill? Well, you know, it just kind of started just, uh, it was, I was 12 years old. It was the summer between sixth and seventh grade. You know, so, you know, there's a lot of elementary schools in that area, but there's only, like, one middle school and one high school, so everyone kind of started merging in there, and I just started hanging out with some new friends, and, you know, we started smoking cigarettes, then it went from weed, and then synthetic marijuana, and then it went from alcohol, pills, and then went to harder stuff, and just, it went from a weekend thing to an everyday thing in a blink of an eye. Okay. All right. Uh, and, and and was it for you um, more peer pressure type thing or was it just, I mean, what led you to, to, to get into those habits? Well, I mean, it's really hard to say, really. Even now, it's kind of hard to explain. It's just, I guess I just felt a lack of purpose. Mm. I just didn't think, you know... I had a place. Yeah. You know, I just, I had everything that I needed, but yet, I guess like a spoiled middle class white kid, I just felt like I wanted something more Mm. and I couldn't find that. So drugs and alcohol kind of took away that void. Yeah. You you speak a, um, you speak a truth that a lot of addicts know, Um, you know, and, and, and this is, you know, from personal experience. It's this idea of I there's something that's missing in my life, something that I'm not getting that I need to have, uh, and and it is something that's I, I think it's beyond just I don't think it's a spoiled white kid. I think it's a human need for connection and a human need for um, you know for for fulfillment, um, you know, and and unfortunately. There's a good population of us, um, especially around those years of 16, 17, 15, 16, 17, uh, even before, uh, that that find that fulfillment, quote unquote, with drugs, alcohol, pills, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that that was that that was the case for you then? Yeah, absolutely. Just I just couldn't. I just didn't know what my life was yeah. about in instead of trying to figure it out <laughs> yeah you know drugs and alcohol just kind of gave me a reason to did you seek up. that out or did it seek you out well i didn't necessarily seek it out it just kind of found its way to me and when it found its way to me i was hook line and sinker and yeah i was yeah i was all in yeah yeah so and which is you know which is the case and this is what i tell people all the time because this is the thing that people get confused on when it comes to people uh, to addicts they they feel like addicts got themselves into this situation on purpose, right? And no 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 person. And let me just say this unequivocally: 
right? No person ever wakes up and says, you know, today I'm going to get addicted to, to, to drugs. Right. Like, nobody nobody no. says that, <laughs> you know? Uh, it, it, it's just one of those things that they fall into, uh, you know, uh, they fall into this through circumstance, uh, you know, or through temptation or through something. Usually it finds them. Now, I'm not taken away from uh, the choices that we have made that caused our addiction. I mean, we are responsible for our own addiction. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, but... But it's not like that's our mission in life was to get high and to mm-hmm. get addicted to something, right? Uh, so now I want to get into the reason why we asked you to come onto the podcast and why you wanted to come onto the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you live this life of uh, you know addiction, uh, finding fulfillment in things that weren't really fulfilling. And you uh, you made an error of judgment, and you found yourself in in prison. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and tell me, tell me what what that was what that was like for you when you first when you first got arrested and uh, you know you found yourself in jail. Well, honestly, it was just kind of a long time coming. Yeah. You know, it's just something that me and my friends always thought was going to happen. Okay. But I was kind of the first person that it happened to out of my friend group. Okay. So when I was sitting in that jail cell, it's like, this is really happening. So, so okay, so a lot of people are going to hear this, and the first question in their mind is going to be this. You guys thought you were going to go to jail, and you didn't change any behavior to prevent it. I mean, that's the mind of an addict. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you know, Every day you get high and drunk, so yep. maybe when you wake up in the morning you think about it, but towards the end of the day it's yes, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, this is this is what addiction does. It goes against your better logic, right? When you're sober, you're like, man, I got to get away from this. I got to get away from this. I'm gonna end up in prison. But then you're like, ah, there's that drug again, right? Mm-hmm. There's that vice again, right? Uh, so, so you found yourself, um, you know in prison you knew this was going to happen mm-hmm. what was your experience like at the beginning well prison is definitely an extremely rough place yeah especially at first because obviously people from the outside looking in may be confused by this but i was singled out and targeted immediately because i was young i was white i was skinny i was short i was unaffiliated so yeah. as soon as I walked through the door, people were already sizing me up. Yeah. And I was in a fight within 72 hours of walking in prison. Okay. And it was, I had to get in a lot of fights within like the first six months. Yeah. Because in prison, it's all about respect and it's all about proving yourself. Yeah. And it took me about six months to where people started to respect me because they know that I would fight back. Yeah. So so it, 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 it's kind of this... Um, culture and this is even some stuff that even though I've been in prison ministry I don't usually hear a lot of right because uh, you know I'm I'm in the you know sheltered part right. of the prison ministry right. so to speak you know um, so so what you're telling me is that you know uh, this was a hierarchy right absolutely yeah okay so what then did if you even want to share it 
what did you have to do to prove yourself? You just you had to fight because. You know, was it about winning or was it about just defending yourself? Just defending yourself in prison. It's not win, lose, or draw. As long as you fight back, that's all people see. Okay. And honestly, if you're the person that has to, if you throw the first punch, people see you as being the winner, really, because yeah. I was smaller than most of the people I was getting in fights with. Yeah. So unfortunately, sometimes I had to be the one that swung first. Yeah. And then, but even though that's not the best Christian thing to do, when I went back to the dorm, people were like, dang, you know, Tim swung on that dude first. Okay, we respect him for that. That's a, that's a, the, a convoluted way of showing respect, isn't it? I, and and I and look, I I am not judging you for what you've done, right? Because you did what you had to do in a lot of respects. Uh, but tell me how that mixed with your with your faith. Now, I I want uh, people to understand. Did you have a faith before you got into prison? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you you grew up in the church. Yes. Uh, and you would have called yourself a saved. Person, yes. Uh, when you got into when you got into church, despite the fact that you had all these addictions, you know, and all these hangups. Yeah, I definitely consider myself a saved person. The yeah. best Christian, no, but definitely saved. <laughs> Look, and and this is again, this is one of the stigmas that I hope this season erases. You can have an addiction and still be saved. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it, it's um, it's not like you said the best of Christianity, but. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about, um, you know, is your faith in Christ? And do you believe in Christ? And do you look to him for your hope? And, you know, whatever, wherever you're at on that journey, as long as you're walking towards Christ and doing the best that you can in Christ, then grace covers a whole lot of stuff, right? right? Uh, And unfortunately, some of us, like you and me, have to learn uh, what faithfulness looks like the hard way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so so I'm not excusing uh, behavior. I'm not excusing sin. But I am saying that there's a lot of grace when we come to him for forgiveness. And and that's... So you can have an addiction and still be saved. So you, 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 you get into prison. You get into fights. You throw the first punch because you got to earn that respect. Mm-hmm. Um what uh how did that conflict with your faith then i mean it definitely conflicted with it just because i know i'm supposed to love you know my neighbor and you know turn the other cheek but you know it's just that's your life 24 7 Mm -hmm. you wake up in prison you eat in prison you know you go to sleep in prison so Yes, I want to practice my faith, but yet this is the society I'm living in, and I need to establish myself so I can survive. Okay. Because not everybody walks out. Yeah, it's fair. That's fair. Um, and I'm not going to even pretend to know what that feels like, um, you know, because it's, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, the military and prison are a lot alike. Well, not really. I mean, there is some similarities mm-hmm. for sure, but I never had to go up and swing up on anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so now there, um, there is this idea, I, and I don't know if this is an outsider idea or what, that a highly religious person 
um, can come into a prison and not have to do what you did? <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't say that. I think it's kind of something that everybody has to go to. Okay. I mean, for me personally, just it's because I was young and, you know. Yeah, no, this isn't but, you comparing. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, not everybody has it as rough as the next person. Right. But, I mean, it, that's really a hard question to answer. I mean, you know, I was a chapel worker, so that kind of helped me a little bit. Yeah, know, yeah. As far with people. You know, not one to get into with me because they see me as, you know, I guess a servant of Christ, I guess you could say. Right. But I don't know. I mean, that's really a hard question. I mean, sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, it's, and again, it's just giving, I'm just trying to paint a picture, uh, you know, uh, of, you know, the, the roughness mm-hmm. of, of uh, incarceration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you, you're living in there, uh, you know, these. You know, for however long it took you to get yourself established, mm-hmm. um, and then you start getting into a pattern of prison. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, waking up, prison. You know, going to work, even in the prison, prison. You know, going yeah. to bed, prison. Yeah, <laughs> it's you know, uh, it's always it's always prison, right? Twenty four seven. Yeah. What did that culture start doing to you mentally, emotionally? Yeah, I, I, it definitely made me very cold, very heartless. I started losing sympathy mm. for people's hurts. Yeah, I guess you could say because I would see people be hurt in a lot of ways, and I would just look away, walk away, and not even think about it twice. Mm. And unfortunately, that has somewhat carried out with me to hear where I still feel like I still struggle with that. Sure, yeah, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I, I just want to pick this picture of you inside. Uh, you know, so very isolating, which is surprising to me because you're not isolated no, physically not, not in prison. <laughs> physically, you're just, you're like a can of sardines, right? Yeah. But mentally and emotionally, it's almost as if this other prison is being established yeah. within yourself. It's a very dog-eat-dog world. Yeah. And if you show weakness people are gonna pounce on that yeah quick right so you just have to you know paint this picture of someone that doesn't care about the next man so you're building walls yeah to protect yourself absolutely um you know subconsciously and consciously yes you know um and yeah i i i get that uh so you're getting there and you're establishing yourself as uh you know a guy that needs respect Right or has respect, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then tell me how you got involved uh, in in the chapel. Well, I started in a program that's called the Plus Program, which uh, stands for Purposeful, Purposeful Living Units Serve. Which the core of that is volunteering around the prison. Mm-hmm. And my neighbor was a chapel worker, and he saw me reading my Bible a lot. And he's like, hey, we have an opening at the chapel. Would you be interested? And I was like, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just started working there. I met the chaplain. Then, you know, I just started, you know, getting involved in the services, running the soundboard. Okay. So what did your faith look like in prison then? I mean, like, did you, did you, uh, you know, was it strong the day that you got there? Or was there this building of strength uh, that took some time? And if so, what was that moment where you're like, man, I got to get this right? Yeah, it was definitely slowly building it up, 
And I guess just the moment was just when I got there. Yeah. Because I was like, I can't do this on my own. I was like, I need some protection. You know? Yeah. You know, just, you know, from God. You know, I need someone to help me get through this. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, not protection from God. Right, right. But just, yeah, like... Yeah, just, God, you want God to give you protection. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just mentally, emotionally, yeah. physically, spiritually. <laughs> right, yeah. Because you knew... You needed survival, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's something you picked up on right away because yes. not only did you do that through you know the fights, but you did that through your heart. Uh, now, what I'm really interested in is as you started growing in your faith, uh, because the Tim that I met uh, when I became a volunteer at the prison was a pretty strong Christian, right? <laughs> Uh, and and I'm not assuming that you weren't strong before then, but you had your Bible, you had your notes, you know, you were you were on it, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I remember meeting you and meeting the class, and thought, man, these guys got it, you know. Yeah. Um, how does normal prison living conflict with that faith? And did you did you make adjustments to how you were living in prison because of your faith? Yeah, I mean it's definitely different. Like from being in the chapel, from being in the dorm, there yeah. definitely are some conflictions, like I mentioned before. Yeah. But uh, you know, I I just I tried to help people around me. Like since I was working in the chapel, I kind of had that firsthand way to help people. I could get them literature. I could, yeah. you know get them in services people would ask me to pray for them while I was there that's awesome yeah so I mean it was I could definitely help people in my community yeah you know more than maybe someone that wasn't in my position yeah yeah okay so so you have you, you so here you are talking about how you have to be kind of non-empathetic uh, you know you, you can't you can't show care but then you know then you start saying well I need to help. I need to be there for people. So that to me is the biggest change. Yeah. You went from, and, and there's still residuals as you talked about. There's still, they're like even outside of prison, there's still this like, ah, I don't know who I can trust. I don't know, you know, I don't want people in. I don't want to, you know, feel for people. I don't want to care for people. But yet you still help people. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so I, I, I see that conflict, you know, um, within you. And I, and, and I see the faith side winning out um so you have that experience in one uh facility and then you move to another facility yes all right um and i don't want to give names or anything like that but tell me what was that second experience like for you uh, it was it was a night and day difference okay how so well the first facility i was at it was completely volunteer led like you went to the chapel and you listen to a volunteer, mm -hmm. and then we all went to our separate dorms. Mm -hmm. But then the other facility I was at, we were all in the same dorm, and it was almost entirely inmate led. Oh, really? Yeah, like there was one volunteer that came in once a week. Okay. Before COVID, obviously. Yeah. And uh, but other than that, there were multiple services completely inmate led. There I love was that. A strong, strong inmate. Christian community in there like it was a night and day difference even people that I was at the first facility with 
were in that facility with me and we would talk about like how it is completely different here. Did you have to prove yourself the same way you proved yourself in plain, uh, no. in the other place? No, I was I was already established. I oh. mean, pe- so I mean, what work was so word travels is that <laughs> No, not necessarily just people can see it. Okay. Just like when you walk in, you can tell all oh, this done this dude's never done time before, but then I'm okay. walking in people can just tell by the way I carry myself like oh yeah, he, he's done time before. Okay. So. All right, so you didn't have to establish yourself. No. So was the conflict then between prison life and faith life easier in this second place than it was in the first place? Yeah, because I could kind of start. I could kind of start over. Yeah, you know, so to speak. You know, not oh, I get necessarily, it. but just I didn't have to worry about establishing myself because there were some people that already knew me there that be like, oh, you know, he's cool. You know, you yeah. don't worry about him, and I already kind of had that persona. But it was a stronger inmate Christian community there. Right. So I could just kind of dive deep into that and not have to worry about what people on the outside Oh, I love think. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and doesn't that speak towards the power of uh, Christian brother and sisterhood? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, this whole idea that uh, faith is not an island, that we are not to do this by ourselves. And and unfortunately, that's something in our country that we're losing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are becoming isolationists in our own spirituality, um, and, and and it's disheartening to me, right? Uh, you know, because it's like, no, guys, we're supposed to do this together, yeah. not apart, right? And I love seeing it in broken places. Um, you know, that is for me just phenomenal. And, and and to be honest, and tell me tell me if this is right or not, because now you you've spent some considerable time outside of prison. Um, I find that that those places of community are are stronger and better and deeper in those broken places than they are out here in normal life. Yeah, absolutely. Because some of the people in there don't have anybody yeah. on the outside, so they completely rely on people that they've met on the inside. Still to this day, I keep in touch with people that I met in prison, and they'll say like, "Hey, I'm praying for you, brother," and I'm like. Why are they praying for me? I'm out. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> you know. I'm praying for you, bro. <laughs> well, you know, that's really funny because it reminds me of a story of a missionary uh, that uh, I had heard uh, in an interview on. Uh, and uh, this American uh, pastor was interviewing this uh, missionary from, from, from China. Uh, and, and they said, hey, I just want to let you know, the pastor said to the missionary, I just want to let you know we're praying for you. Um, and the missionary goes, well, great, but we're really praying for you, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, the, the church is growing in persecution, mm-hmm. uh, but the church is flailing, uh, in freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's a strange dichotomy to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I love that, uh, you are able to find that community, yeah. you know? Uh, so tell me then, um, as you started getting to the last portion of your stay and I think it was about like a year year and a half wasn't it where you were starting to think about you started to hear rumors of you leaving early and and you know things like that or getting out sooner than you expected um what what struggles did you have with God during those moments during my last like yeah when you started hearing yeah when you started hearing okay we're going to go through this motion and that motion okay to get you out sooner than expected you know, because I know you were fighting a lot. You were struggling a lot yeah. spiritually, I'm saying, uh, with God. Tell me about that a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I would just pray multiple times a day, like, you know, please let this court date happen. Please yeah. you know, let this go through, and it would never happen. Always yeah. get pushed back, always get denied. And sometimes I just think, like, man, I mean, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Like, you know, what is happening? Yeah. And everyone just tell me, like, oh, you know, just go God's timing. He knows your soul. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so why am I still here? Yeah, he knows me. <laughs> Can I go now? <laughs> I mean, it, it was definitely a struggle. But, I mean, honestly, my faith has never really wavered too much. Right. So I just. Yeah, and let's, let's dispel another theological rumor while we're at it. You can struggle and be faithful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, read Jeremiah, read Lamentations, read the Psalms, read this, read the New Testament. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's pretty much you know the definition of you know my Christian life so far. Is yeah, like, yeah, I'm struggling, but yet my faith never wavers. Yeah, I'll complain, but I'm still I'm still going to church. I'm still praying. Yep, exactly. <laughs> because you know if you read the Psalms and you hear these these Psalms of uh, lamentation as or Psalms of, uh, Psalms of lament. Is what they're called, uh, and you hear these people say, uh, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Or you know, I I turn one way or the other, and I can't find God anywhere. Right. You know, and they're just these dark poems, right? Mm -hmm. But then you get to the second half, and you get to the second half of the psalm, and it says, "But I will always trust in the God, in my God. I will always put my faith in Him. He is faithful to the end." You know, those kind of things. Right. You know, and. And so you can be honest with God and say, you know what? Life sucks right now. And, and this is not what I wanted, not what I wanted to experience. And I'm mad at you, right? Uh, and, and, and God will take it. God will take it as long as we're still faithful, mm -hmm. right? And following and trusting in him for the outcome. Right. So you kept on hearing these, this, this, you know, these, uh, these letdowns. You started having these letdowns, uh, you know, you were still faithful. How did you have? What did you have to say to um, to remind yourself that in the darkest of your moments, God was still there? I mean, honestly, I would just tell myself I got an outdate. Yeah, <laughs> which is better than what a lot of people can say. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And so, I just, you know, I just praised Him for that because I guess I could have got more time than what I got. And yeah, I was still getting time cuts, so He was still helping me out even though it may not have been the way I wanted at that point in time. Yeah. But I could still look back and, oh, he helped me this way and this way and that way. Right. So so you believe then that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so tell me if I'm wrong, uh, but you believe that God had you there for the time that you were there for a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What was the purpose? Just to see how bad he can get if you don't straighten up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it was kind of like an episode of Scare Straight, you know? God, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, what did you, what did God teach you in those, in those moments? Really what I got out of it was, is there's more to life than drugs and alcohol and that he has a purpose for me and that it's not here. Yeah. It's out here <laughs> yeah 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 well, it's not prison right it's 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 out here and and what do you think that purpose is do you know yet i mean i would like to think so i mean you know i mean i've always had a passion for animals and all that so i would like to think maybe he put me here to take care of maybe some of the lesser creatures here on earth maybe yeah okay all right that's fair dude all right well okay so uh we've talked about your experience in prison 
kind of talked about your experience outside of that prison, but I want to, I know you wanted to talk about this, and I want to give you the space to talk about this. Um, you know, with with the with the uh, character of love and respect. What what do you see as both the positives of our correctional system and the negatives? Let, let's start with the good stuff first. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. Uh, are do you? Well, if there's not any, then let's be honest. But do you feel that there are some positives within the correctional facility? I mean, there's there's very few, really. I mean, the correctional facilities are not the best. Honestly, the only thing positive that I can say is is for young people like me can have the chance to see what it's really like mm-hmm. and to meet people that have been living this life. Mm-hmm. So we know that when we get out, we can remember what people taught us and what we've seen and what we had to do. Yeah. So that's not necessarily something that, you know, the COs and the warden taught us. It's just something that I had the opportunity to learn. So, okay, so I'm hearing this as a person who's never, you know, uh, served time in prison, right? I've ministered to a lot of prisoners, right, but not served time in prison. I hear you saying that, and I go, but that is correctional, right? I mean, you, you went in one way, you came out better, and it seems like it served its purpose. So what do you say to that? Well, it's it's something that I had to do personally. Okay. It's not something that the prison, you know, the prison system okay. and, and its employees bestowed upon me. So, so would you say then that, that, is, that your motivation is not the same motivation of those inside the, the prisoner, the other prisoners, your fellow inmates? No, I mean, it's completely an individual choice. Some okay. people just go there, do their time, get out. And do what they've been doing. Okay. All right. So, so if you come in with the right motivation, that it can truly become a correctional facility. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. The wisdom that I learned from the guys that I met in there, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. Okay, that, that's that's a positive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what about your your opportunity to grow in your faith? Do you think you would have the same faith today? Uh, without being incarcerated? No, definitely not. Okay, so what did, how did your time um, inside, how did that help your faith then? Well, it definitely, you know, working at the chapel gave me the opportunity to literally be in church Mm -hmm. almost all day, every day. Yeah. You know, so I got to learn from the volunteers that came in. Yeah. You know, I got to learn from the chaplains. Okay. You know, from the literature. Yeah. And all that. And from my stronger Christian brothers that were incarcerated with me. Okay, so I, I again, I, I, I hear this as an outsider, and I hear, well, you could have had those things outside in society, right? You could have, you know, spent your time at a church and fellowshipped with, um, you know, fellowshipped with uh, other strong Christian people. So what makes diff- a prison different? I wouldn't have been seeking it if I wasn't in prison. <laughs> okay, there you go, right? Um, and, uh, you know, and because it's, and this is my guess, so here's my guess. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Is it because that there is so much darkness and negativity um, inside the prison 
that you were more hungry to seek out the light. Yeah, 100%. All right, so, uh, and this is that whole, this goes back to that whole thing about the missionary from China. In persecution, the church grows, right? right. When there is darkness, more people will look for the light, yes. right? Uh, and so uh, for, for you and for a lot of people like you, uh, you know, the positive of, of prison is that you could see the light more clearly. It could go towards it, mm-hmm. right? Not in a death way. Don't right. go, don't go towards the light, Tim. All right, <laughs> uh, but you could at least see the light of Christ and go towards that. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so that's that. That to me are some positives, right? Um, you know, there's a whole adage in the army that says if somebody says, "Would you ever do it again?" You know, a lot of people say, "I will. I will never forget the time that I served in the military." But I would never want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so that that rings true to you as an inmate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you you you, uh, you appreciate what you learned and what you did, um, but you wouldn't want to do it again. Right. Right. Okay. So, all right. So, those are some good positives, right? And and I could say, you know, from an outsider's perspective, that the original goal and intent of the incarceration system. To bring people in, to, uh, to alleviate crime, to separate the worst of the worst uh, from you know general citizens, uh, so that they can be safe and secure, uh, and then hopefully to uh, rehabilitate and send out as productive members of society. Right, uh, I I I I see that as a positive. But tell me where that doesn't happen, because I know this is your biggest problem, right? Is that that the goal of the correctional facilities uh, is not often met? No, it's not the Department of Corrections. It's the Department of Containment. Okay, all right. Explain that a little bit. It's not about correcting people. They just want to keep us contained and make sure that we don't get out. They don't okay. care what we do to each other inside the dorms as long as we don't mess with their own. Okay. So when you say, uh, you know, for them not to get out, are you talking about, you know, uh, they don't want you to get out during your stay or they don't ever want to see you leave that prison? A little bit of both. Really. A little bit of both. Okay. <laughs> uh, how so? I mean, I've seen COs write people up for no good reason and they'll be like, Man, I'm gonna get kicked out of my program, or I'm gonna, you know, this, this, and that, and they'll just so, yeah, just write them up. Yeah, you know the the COs lack training. They also lack sympathy. I feel like okay, which you know may just be out of fear, maybe right. But the prison system does. It's very lukewarm. Yeah, they act like they want to help us. But really, they're just punching in and punching out. Okay, yeah, right. And and so that whole, um, you know, they're just there for a job and not there for a purpose uh, kind of takes away from, um, t- takes away from the uh, committing, the completing the goal of correcting. Right. I won't say it's every single employee. Obviously, there's a few good ones, but 90% of the people that work there are just... Okay. There for the job. All right. So let's say that you are the head of the 
National Correctional Facility. You get to you get to have unlimited resources, all right, financial and whatever, and you get to change the correctional facility and how we do corrections in this country. Um, you know, uh, from the inside out, the whole thing. What would you do? Well, this is what I would do. I would get proven professional uh, drug rehab counselors inside the prisons, offer the inmates a time cut for staying extremely dedicated to this program, Mm -hmm. and then also having real-life job skills brought in there. So they, same thing, offer them a time cut to learn these job skills. Right. So when they get out, they're hopefully sober, they have skills, and when they get out, they'll be more productive members of society. Okay. All right. So... I, I, I love that. So what you would see is kind of what's – this is what happens really in um, uh, in like say Los Angeles and, and things like that. They actually have uh, – actually Maine is doing this too. They have programs within the prison to help further the life of the inmates so that when they get out, they have a set of skills. But then here's the problem, and you've experienced this because you have a record. Mm-hmm. You can't do the jobs that you want to do. No. Right? So, so uh, you know, what? I know you would, so I'm just going to say, what I've always wished would happen is that we would stop the requirement of, of uh, asking that question, have you previously been incarcerated on a job form? You know, I, 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 if you've served your time and you have no parole, and the government's no longer watching you, so to speak, then you should be free and clear. You do your time, you're done. You know? Uh, And that way, because the the reason why people uh, go back to prison is because they get out of prison and they can't live. And so they go back to the things that they went to, that they were at in the first place. Right? Right? Okay. Well, in our final minutes, because I want to wrap this up, uh, and and, because I know I want to be respectful of your time, um, I want to. I, I want you to to talk to me a little bit about how, what this did to your parents, how they were instrumental in helping you uh, get through your years in the in the system. Well, I was definitely blessed with a really good support system. Yeah. I had people, you know, I could pick up the phone and call, you know, whoever. I had people coming to visit me, which is a very something you look forward to all week long. Yeah, right. And obviously, they were sending me, excuse me, sending me money so I could eat, yeah, so I could survive. And you know, I know it took a toll on them emotionally and physically, but yet they were always there. Yeah. So it kind of helped me to you know, push forward because a lot of people that don't have emotional systems don't see a point in trying. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just try to get by as best they can and they don't learn anything. They don't have anything to live for. So, so because your parents were involved in, in, in your incarceration and because they were faithful to you as loving parents, that was, that made it easier for you to get through that system. Yeah, absolutely. If they, if they weren't out, who knows where I'd be right now. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, and then I want you to uh, tell me what impact 
and I am honestly not fishing for anything. Uh, but what impact did volunteers have on on you and your going through the system? I mean, it's honestly made me the Christian I am today. I mean, if it wasn't for volunteers, you know, like you coming in, you know. I wouldn't have grown in my faith that much because as you kind of experienced when you went to like the Sunday service, yeah, 90% of people weren't there for the Sunday service. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. so I'll tell this story. The first time I preached at the prison, uh, I get there and the air condition is not working. You know, things aren't going, going right. Um, and the guys get in late. We, uh, I had a 30-minute sermon prepared. And I had 10 minutes to preach it. Uh, and and I get up there and I start preaching. And dudes are standing up, talking, high-fiving each other, you know, doing everything but paying attention to what I had to say. Uh, and, oh, man, it was a horrible experience. Rough crowd. Yeah, it was a rough crowd. <laughs> but I will say this. Throughout my four years of being at that prison... I had people constantly uh, come up to me and say how much they enjoyed that first sermon and were able to tell me what the sermon was about. Right. All right. Um, and I was like, cool. So I knew the people who needed to listen were listening, yeah. right? So yeah, there's some people there, but 90%. Yeah, no, no, 90% of them were like, whatever, guy. All right. But the Bible studies are definitely the meat and potatoes. Of- right. You know the Christian life. Yeah, and, and the reason I'm bringing this up is twofold. Because my audience that, that listens to this podcast, they're in one of two camps. Okay, they have somebody they love and know in prison, or they don't. Mm-hmm. And so the question now that is being asked is, what can our audience do to help? And I, the way I see it, there are two responses. If you have somebody in prison that you know and that you love and that you care for, visit them. Throw them some finances if you're able to. Help them make their experience easier to get through and let them know that they have people waiting for them on the outside. Absolutely. Right? The second thing, if you don't have somebody in prison, then volunteer when COVID's over. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but volunteer to help uh, help these inmates know that Jesus loves you, that He has a plan for you, and that you are praying for them. You know, uh, and it can be as something as as simple as uh, just coming to a chapel service and sitting down and talking to the guys before and after. Simple as simple as that. You know, there is something everybody can do to help. Uh, so, uh, Tim, uh, any any final kind of thoughts, um, words to the wise about faithful living, prison? Anything that you want to say before we end? Before we end, I guess what I'll end with is, if you know somebody that has done time in prison, that's a convicted felon, give them a chance to prove themselves. Yes. Don't, you know, obviously there's that stigma, but just give them the chance, you know, give them that job, give them the opportunity to prove themselves because it's a struggle in there and nobody wants to go back to prison, but sometimes people have to resolve back to that lifestyle because society will not give them a chance. 
they look down on them. So I would just encourage everyone listening to pray for our fellow Christians that are incarcerated and pray for the ones that are released and just give them a chance to prove themselves. Dude, I, I, I couldn't say it better myself. Uh, listen to those words. Those were very wise words. Um, so guys, thank you so much for being a part of the uh, podcast this morning. Thank you, Tim, for uh, joining us today. Uh, if you would like to know more uh, about Coffee in Conversation, the podcast, and and more about the organization that supports us, Community Transformation Partners, and individuals like you, you can join us at communitytransformationpartners.org. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, Community Transformation Partners, um, and you can find out about us uh, there. But we are funded. Uh, this podcast is funded uh, primarily through gifts and donations from you, the listener. And if you would like to learn more about how you can donate, you can go to communitytransformationpartners.org uh, forward slash donate to find out more. Guys, thank you so much for joining the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Peace, love, and soul.